Welcome to Light Warrior Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Can, author of the number one bestseller, Guide to Healing Chronic Pain, A Holistic Approach. And if you're new to my tribe, the Light Warrior Tribe, I'd love to give you my free gift, which is the Sensitive Soul Empowerment Guide. And you can get that download for free at www.sensitivesoulguide.com. And today on Light Warrior Radio, I have a very special guest, and um, he has been on Light Warrior Radio twice already, um, and we were talking about aliens previously, <laughs> uh, meet the hybrids and being with the beings and a super popular show with my folks because a lot of my tribe are very highly sensitive people with connections, galactic collection, connections all over um, the cosmos, which is super exciting. Uh, but today we are talking about a brand new book that has been released recently by this author, my guest today, called Wisdom Now and Always. And uh, so Miguel Mendoza, who I'm interviewing today, um, he's a best-selling author, and he's explore, exploring this question, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? And how can we cultivate it? So he's explored these questions in great depth and breadth in this fascinating, illuminating discussion um, with the, an extraordinary group of 25 highly accomplished writers, teachers, scientists, artists, and activists. Um, so they take us into the key experiences and relationships with help, which help develop their sense of what wisdom is and how each of us can develop it and cultivate it. So representing three generations, they come from 11 countries across five continents, have traveled uh, to most of the countries of the world between them. Uh, they offer us a compelling exploration of wisdom, how uh, we can benefit from it, um, not just now, but in the future as well. And let me tell you a little bit about uh, Miguel. He's an Anglo-Azorian writer based in Bristol, England. His education has incorporated forestry, horticulture, journalism, BA in geography and history, postgrad studies in social science, environmental ethics. He's worked as an author and campaigner on sustainability <laughs> while serving as research manager at the World Future Council and Communications um, and also communications manager at the Converging World. Uh, at that time, he authored... Um, Three books, uh, co-authored three books, uh, Feed and Tariffs, Powering the Green Economy and a Renewable World. Following that work, Miguel published a short uh, fiction collection, then studied metaphysical topics and published a trilogy, Meet the Hybrids, We Are the Disclosure, and Being with the Beings. In addition to exploring fresh subject areas in nonfiction, he dabbled in music, poetry, photography, and stained glass. Well, you are very well-rounded, uh, Miguel. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Nice to be with you. Uh, you know, this is uh, so exciting, especially last time when we spoke on Light Warrior Radio, you were sharing about your process of um, what I call like becoming more and more sensitive and attuned, you know, to energies around you. And this wasn't something that you like purposefully as a child or a young person dove into. <laughs> so maybe mm -hmm. you can share with us, uh, for, especially for listeners listening in for the first time, just kind of share a little bit about that, that process. Like how did you get from, you know, going in from forestry and horticulture, for example, to this area of, you know, spirituality and higher consciousness? Well, um, yeah, I guess I'll try and get across a short version. My first encounter with something non, not quite human, not quite, certainly not physical, was at the age of three. And, and that was so early in life that I had no one around to tell me, well, that's nonsense, that can't happen. So you just accept 
that that's part of the fabric of reality. That is a feature of reality that there are other layers, levels, dimensions of existence and they are available to one another. And um, so something like that is going to spark your curiosity, especially when you, as you're growing up, you realize that people aren't really talking about this very much and often when they do, it's in a very sort of patronizing, condescending, sarcastic kind of way in our culture at least in the west so i was you know got interested in sort of spirituality and other wisdom traditions other parts of the world other um sort of spiritual paths and in those you find a lot more openness to the nature of reality whereas in the west obviously we have this kind of um enlightenment uh paradigm that is fundamentally materialist and of course moving into the areas that I did in my career you can sort of see where that materialism is is coming apart the seams very rapidly and how it's essentially toxifying everything our psyche our bodies really the the whole of the living world is becoming a victim of this materialist obsession that we have and so a lot of my time is spent trying to understand this so i worked in you know different fields and sort of poked around in different areas different aspects of these questions and i was doing a lot of that about a year ago and something at that point said to me read a book on wisdom because I was reading all the stuff on narcissism and sociopathy and... Oh, my. Um, uh, sorry, did you say why? Mm. Yeah, no, I so said, I oh, was... Oh, my. <laughs> oh, oh, my. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> I was looking at, Yeah, I was looking at a lot of different things um, around control systems and power and why is it that we're allowing ourselves to be corrupted and distorted on so many levels um, and that's just been curious to me all my life because I think well I don't think that way and I know lots and lots of people who don't think that way that look at the world the prevailing power structures the prevailing values in society and think well none of this fits it makes no sense all of us know this is bad for us so how do we get here and why are we still here how have we not learned from I mean the 20th century should have been everything we needed to know about what does not work what does not serve us however here we are 20 years 20% of the way into a new century and nothing's changed like nothing really I mean people will talk about the the awakening they'll talk about ascension and things of that sort but it still feels to me like that's a pretty thin um, belief system like I don't see it backed up in a very strong way I mean yes people have been pushed into a corner in terms of things like Extinction Rebellion Black Lives Matter the Me Too movement there have been all these moments where thresholds have been crossed 
but we're still we're still fighting the power. We're still having to fight this this endless series of battles for people to say, I am worth the same as everybody else. And a big part of the draw to write about wisdom was this feeling that in wisdom is the answer to all of these ills, everything that I've set out. And obviously, none of the things I've talked about would be universally agreed upon. That's just the nature of humanity, that we all have our own opinions and they can be very strong, whether they're founded in knowledge and research or not. Um, but to put something together in wisdom felt to me the most sane and useful and important thing that I could do with this period of time. So in lockdown, the one good thing that it did is to open up time and space for people that they don't normally have. Yes, it's come at enormous cost, but it's also given us the opportunity to reflect in a way that we rarely get the, the space to because we're, we're pushed along by all these sort of economic mechanisms. Just the metabolism of our economic life is such that we get so little time to ourselves to do the work on ourselves. And so mm -hmm. this is sort of cause and effect of so many of the problems that we're talking about. So it also meant that the kind of people that I would like to interview, instead of hurtling around the planet from one conference or meeting or lecture or event to another, these guys were all stuck at home for a change. And this is unique. I mean, it never happened before. You could say that maybe around the holidays you get some of this. But um, at this particular time, it was unique. And so I just jumped on it. And I started to draw up some questions that I thought would open this up in the right kind of way that would get me closer to a definition. And then I came up with a list of people, many of whom I'd known from my days in sustainability, and and just developed from there. Those people would recommend other people after we'd finished an interview, they'd say, well, um, okay, here's a perfect person. This person has got to be on your list. And then some of them were just uh, luck, pure luck, some of them. I mean, you, well, you could call it luck or you could say that was guidance, right? <laughs> guidance. You know, yeah, all right. of that good stuff. So, I mean, there's some people that I would have loved to interview. I mean, thousands of them, frankly, but I mean, not everything works out, sadly. But the 25 people that are in this book have given us an enormous depth and breadth of experiences, perspectives, ideas that shape the sense of what wisdom is and how it can be applied and developed uh, to a level that I 
I, I I didn't even imagine that I would get where I got to. And in a way, I almost don't want to give it away in terms of the punchline. You almost want the reader to go on that journey mm. and come to their own conclusions. It, it's tough to give, like I've said to everybody, please, if you're one of those people who reads the, the end first on this, don't. Trust me. <laughs> Take your time. Read it slowly. Read it close and read it twice at a minimum because every time you read it things will fall into place that just didn't before because you needed to go through all of those other steps and stages for you to be ready to understand some of it so reading it twice I think is super important I mean I've read it in the process of transcription editing uh, drafting, proofing, I must have read every chapter at least half a dozen times and every time I read them there will be things in there that I'm seeing as if for the first time, mm. you know, they just jump out at you and suddenly they click and you think, oh my, right, I get it now and, and sometimes it will just, it will just ping something in your childhood It'll ping an experience somewhere, or you or you get the opposite. You're just going through your daily life, and something will come up, and suddenly a line from the book will just come to you, and it will make sense, and you just think, "I moved on. I'm now in a better place than I was to deal with that kind of thing." Like I've had this whole thing going on with the area that I live, you know, the, I'm a writer, I'm trying to work, I need it to be quiet, the neighborhood kids, man, they make a racket. <laughs> and through the process of working on this, it's been such a kind of heart and mind opening experience that I now have set myself a challenge, which is to always go to my heart when these kids are making noise, when they're doing what they would do to normally drive me nuts, instead of that, I'm now understanding that true wisdom is to get to a better place in your heart and it can only ever be about love. That's yeah. one thing I will certainly give away up front that that's where I got to, that wisdom without love is just not wisdom. You can be smart and manipulative and be a sociopath, but mm. you cannot be wise because wisdom is something benevolent. It is about reciprocity. It is about generosity. It is about compassion, kindness. That's a wise person. A wise person listens. A wise person does not just talk and project to every encounter what they want or what they need it to be there's a there's a fluidity there is an openness it is just a completely different spin on so much of management theory and and self-development that we get so much of that has been about power the language mm. of power features so highly never give away your power 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 
Um, and, and to talk about power implies strongly a, a discussion about hierarchy, about status, whereas wisdom is this completely different thing. It's not to say um, everybody is equal in terms of they're as good as each other at the same things. That's not the case. I mean, that's unsupportable. Everybody can add their piece to the picture, to the experience. And so this idea of what wisdom really is has, has been personally transformative. And it's kind of driving me crazy <laughs> that the book's only just out, so I don't yet have anybody to talk to about it. I mean, it's driving me crazy, but, you know, um, i got a bunch of people, good friends, some family members who are into it, and, uh, and I can't wait. I just, I want to see, I want to know what other people found in this that I didn't find. What was right there staring me in the face that I missed? And so the conclusion, you know, in the end, I just had to put the book out because I thought it's more important that the audience get access to this material now than waiting another six, nine months for me to finally have it all fall into place because we know that's not really how knowledge and wisdom and insight really works. All exactly. of that is a lifelong process, right? It, mm -hmm. it takes time for these things to fall into place, to make sense. And so I thought I'll just give it my best shot and, and get it out there. And so I'm now sending the contributors their, uh, con their complimentary copies and uh, I just, I can't wait to get into it with people because I feel like everybody who reads this, including the contributors, even especially the contributors because of their openness, mm. they're going to get so much out of it. And, and I know that most of them, once they spend time with this in their own work with their audiences, and there's at least five professors uh, in this book, there's at least five people in post teaching now, and one of them, Professor Michelle Ferrari, is at uh, University of Toronto, and he actually has a whole wisdom program there. So he's been working wow. with people all over the world concerning wisdom and how different cultures relate to it, and... And so his students, I guess, will be accessing the book, and, and I, I can't wait to talk to him about it for the same reason that he couldn't wait to talk to me about it, <laughs> because there aren't that many of us in the world that are studying wisdom, which mm -hmm. seems crazy until you open a newspaper, and then you think, well, okay, yeah, it makes sense. You don't <laughs> see a lot of wisdom out there. But, uh, you know, to be able to talk to someone else who's looking at it is so interesting because it's so kind of intangible. Like if, like if I say to you, tell me about a feeling of love you've had, Karen. Boom, you go there. It's a, it's a friend, 
it's a family member, it's a pet, it's a lover, it's a, it's a, a place, it's a meal, it's a memory, it's accessible and you know what it is without anybody needing to define it for you. But if I say, tell me about a wise moment, I'm telling you, everybody I ask this, I send, I send the questions always ahead before I interview somebody. Um, and so many of them said, when I got the questions, I thought, what do I know about wisdom, really? How, what do I know? What have I got to offer this? But um, all of them got there eventually. But it's that process of trying to piece together what feels wise and that so often goes back to their childhoods. And they'll say, well, my father taught me this. My grandmother showed me that. My mother dealt with this in this way. And so, so there, there is this resonance in us. Like we can identify, resonate with, locate wisdom. But what I'm hoping the book will do is help the reader to open up more of their own uh, intuition, their own wisdom radar, to locate their own wisdom, to identify it and to be, to feel good about it. I mean, that's the feeling I want people to have. And a number of the interviewer, interviewees told me that wisdom is a thing, like you know it, because it feels good to be around. When you're around, David Eby, this phenomenal uh, musician from, uh, is based on the West Coast, um, you know, he talked about wisdom immediately as something that it feels good to be in the presence of wisdom. When you're in the presence of wisdom, you feel like your best interests are being held in that situation. If you're with a wise person, like he is um, a disciple of um, I can never remember how to pronounce the guy's name, Paramahansa Yogananda. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> so, autobiography of a, yo of a yogi. Yeah, no. Right. What are you talking about? Uh, yeah, so so he's a, a disciple of that um, that path, and and he's and his discussion about music in that context is, I mean, this is an absolute treasure trove. Every chapter, people are we're getting deep into what are those moments that you thought this is what wisdom is. I mean, one guy. I almost, I, I don't even want to ruin it for people because it's just so, there's, in the first chapter, there's a guy called Professor Philotusi Avagalio Jr. who is of Samoan warrior king lineage. Mm -hmm. He tells these incredible stories about going from his literally a stone age culture in Polynesia to the US where he was studying and when I asked him about experiences of wisdom he described the ritual 
of having the traditional Samoan tatau, the the tattoo, and they, as you as you probably know, they it's all done with a uh, a comb made of bone, human bone, I think he said. Wow. And a hammer. And and that experience, he said, it gets to a point that it becomes a spiritual thing. The pain is so intense. Basically, they're tattooing this. So, using a hammer, imagine this. I hope nobody's eating. If they are, you can mute this <laughs> I'm an for, MD, so that's for fine. 10 seconds. <laughs> you can talk about anything. <laughs> so, so this comb of human bone being tapped into the skin a sixteenth of an inch around your anus wow. and up to the, the back of your testicles with a hammer. And he said the, the person doing the tattoo understands minutely the amount of pain that they are subjecting you to. But he said that this is a ritual that will define your life because you can stop at any moment and you can say, that's enough. I can't take it anymore. However, you can never restart the tattoo. It will be unfinished forever and that will live with you and your family for generations. Right? No pressure. The no pressure. <laughs> so, so he says, he gets this moment where it bifurcates down one path, there's you and hopping away to get some kind of heavy-duty painkiller and, you know, roll around and scream into a pillow for an hour or two. Down the other path is putting yourself on the line, your body, your mind, your will, for all of your family, everybody you love and care for, for generations. So you, he said, at that moment, he said, in his mind, I don't care, screw you, kill me, if I have to die, I'll die. I will die for this. And he said, in that moment, this is the key. He said that everything he understands about what wisdom is, he experienced every dimension of wisdom in that experience, in that single experience. Because wisdom is about things that are bigger than yourself. It's about love. It's about consideration. It's about seeing beyond your own needs and wants, even as extreme as they were in that situation, and offering something that takes a long-term view, because so much of wisdom comes down to decision-making. And to make good decisions, you have to, and this came from 25 people, so this is... This is really kind of pulling it all together. 
um, there's a lot of different pieces to it, but it's about considering the big picture and the long term, recognizing who the decision will affect and in what ways, taking the time that we need within the time that we have, and basing it on the best information and counsel that we have available. Mm -hmm. There are other there are other parts to it, but these are some of the main things. So a lot of wisdom is about making a good decision, but that decision is so complex and often quite subtle that a lot of us, we're not, as I said right at the intro, our, our culture is an economic culture in the West, primarily. And this doesn't really give us the time or the space to make those kinds of decisions. We're not taught to do it. There's nothing in our education that does this, that sits kids down at an early age and says, this is how you can navigate life uh, in a really effective way. I mean, I don't know if, I mean, I have no awareness that that is ever taught and certainly nobody in the book, again, a number of whom are educators who are in post now, um, and none of them raised this. None of them said, we teach wisdom <laughs> directly. But right, right. The, the, my whole experience, like all of this began when I was a seven-year-old boy in school, and we were taught the, the story of the wisdom of King Solomon, where in his court he would have people come to him to solve their problems and render judgments and uh, all of that. So one day two women come to him and both claim to be the mother of a baby. So he considers this and he says, all right, there's a perfectly simple solution. I will take a sword to the child and you shall have half each. Problem solved. And at this moment, one of the women collapses to her knees and begs the king to give the child to the other woman. And he knows he has found the true mother. And I literally felt illumination, this explosion of light around my head in a way that I have rarely experienced since then. But that was my first moment of enlightenment, literal enlightenment. It was a feeling of light just poof, around my head like a light bulb just went on. And I realized that is the purpose of life, to become wise so that we can solve problems and live better lives. And, and that stuck all my life. And that's still one of the primary drivers in, in this project and my life in general. So whoever told us that story, I forget which year I was in exactly, which teacher, but... I think I learned it in church. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was very, very moving for me. I remember it very clearly as well. Yeah, I could totally resonate with what you're saying. And uh, what you were talking about earlier about that bigger vision, that, mm -hmm. you know, the macroscopic view, so not seeing things necessarily from just our 
you know, self and, and the narrow microscopic view, but that macroscopic view, how is this decision going to affect the world, others, you know, not just my family or myself? Um, yeah, I've been talking about that uh, lately um, because mm -hmm. I, I can see that, you know, the, the, the uh, addiction, if you will, is, is really to, for people to feel like they're right. And I know you've seen this, right, from mm -hmm. whether it be mm -hmm. Facebook or YouTube or whatever. It's like, I'm right, you're wrong, and sure. you know, all these different views and perceptions. And, and uh, like my take is that it takes a very wise person to be able to step back and see the whole picture and see where everyone's coming from, honor and still love that, while mm -hmm. also making their own, you know, decisions based on the whole. So, um, yeah, very, very timely what you're, what you're talking about today. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, you know, is there a way that people, in your opinion, given, you know, what you've read in the book and all the, the wonderful authors that you have in here, um, that people can cultivate their own wisdom? I mean, you talked a little bit about uh, that it was the love and then of course the punchline <laughs> um, but if people want to know hey like how do I know if I'm wise um, you know how do I cultivate it uh, do you have any other advice for them um, the cultivation of wisdom I think really starts with a sense of what it is and a sense that it counts mm -hmm that if you can hear the story about Solomon and get why it's meaningful and important, that's one example of a way in which you can at least recognize the value. Because why would you invest in anything at all if you don't understand its value? Right. There's got to be something in you that says this is worth doing. Like, if you've got a decent car and you know you see one that's a little nicer and you just think this year's model has got this or that in it and blah 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 you know you've got to go deep down into yourself and I think one of the most important things is not just seeing the value in the the decision you're going to make in, in wisdom itself but it's self-knowledge and that's the bit that's probably the hardest of anything in life because most people kind of carry around um, a victim mentality that mm. the world would be fine if everybody else would just shut up and listen to them and do as they say and give them what they want <laughs> <laughs> and then it would all be copacetic it would just work but That's right it's not really how it is. I mean, I just literally this morning started interviewing for the next, next, next book. So I've now got three others in production. And I just started one this morning on the subject of peace. And I'm going to try and make sure this is the last I talk about it until the book's out um, <laughs> and keep the energy and the idea. But I interviewed one of the guys, re-interviewed one of the guys that I interviewed in, in the Wisdom book, uh, Sulak Sivaraksa, who is a Thai Buddhist and one of the most venerable, beautiful people. And so we talked this morning and in the Wisdom interview about self-knowledge and 
in his case, through meditation, like he was saying that first of all, you need to slow down. And slowing down means breathing, and breathing not just short, but long. And when you do more work on your breathing, you do begin to restructure your consciousness. And over time, as you get more deeply into your meditation practice and living mindfully, breathing mindfully, coming from your heart, you open up a space where you can start to gain more insight into your own processes and mechanisms. I mean, when I, taught, when I was taught meditation, Buddhist meditation back in, the, um, I want to say, mid-90s, so about 25 years ago, I remember the shock at basically being able to take the back off my head and, and look in and see how it worked. I mean, I could not believe what what meditation really was. That you can even watch your own mechanisms at work. You can in in meditation, thoughts will float in and out, and you can immediately see all of the the machinery start up, and you can see which emotions come up. You can see which memories are triggered. You can see all of this from like you're sat in the back of the movie theater so you can see the film but you can also see the audience but somehow you can also see yourself seeing it it's just crazy that this is available and it's not taught in school i mean no. if i was made king of the world tomorrow that would be part of it every <laughs> kid would be taught insight meditation yes, yoga so awesome. breath work um all of that good stuff. I mean, it's it's really the courage to look at yourself, to say, who am I really? Where am I falling down? Where am I giving the least of myself? Where can I improve? Because we're taught, we're sort of acculturated to think that it's it's a war, it's survival of the fittest. We've it's got to. By the way, right. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, who does that serve? I mean, how the data, many people? The data doesn't even support that, and that's what we learned in school. Right. And, and that's a big part of this book. I, I asked everybody, um, it's kind of a leading question, but I wanted to open up a discussion about nature. And so I asked, is wisdom a purely human concept? And so... Most of the people in the book talked about the wisdom that they've witnessed at different levels. I mean, some of them working, living and working with indigenous people in rainforests, in deserts, in all kinds of uh, ecosystems. And in those experiences and many others, I mean, some just watching their pets. I mean, Vandana Shiva, his incredibly well-known Indian physicist and activist, amongst other things, writer. I mean, she's extraordinary. And she was talking about, tells a story of their little Tibetan dog, Sinto, that they had. Um, they were sent to a Catholic school for their education. 
you know that was the best education they could get where they lived in India back in the day and uh, and the nun he was teaching the class was on that particular day said well only humans have souls and so Vandana's sister put a little hand up and she said well our dog whenever it's fed goes to the bowl and sits there for a moment before eating so if my dog prays before it eats the way we do it must have a soul and um, oh. <laughs> Vandana said and she was totally punished for that oh no oh no and, you know right there you've got that that crazy thing of of deciding um, dogmatically this is reality you cannot explore it right where's the wisdom in this is why I was always allergic to organized religion for somebody oh, I to love that. allergic to that's a good one <laughs> I, from from childhood I just thought why would I be so inquiring why would I question everything and just to be told you've got the wrong kind of mind your mind is so um, it's so far away from it's just the opposite of the mind that you should have the mind you should have is one that is comfortable being put in a box and the only other thing in that box is a Bible. I mean, I, 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 there's this preacher, Pastor Francis, who everybody will know by sight and sound, if not by name, in, here in Bristol, in the center of the city, the uh, shopping area of Broadmead. He'll be there yelling at the top of his voice. He's an African guy um, yelling at people about the glory of God and, and this and that and whatnot. And one day I stopped him and I just said, um, <laughs> let's, have a, let's talk about this. Um, I wish I was there. <laughs> I forget what the initial question was, but that's not the point of the story. His response to my question was to say, well, if you look in Genesis, whatever, verse thing, chapter, something else, it says that. And I said, no, no, no. No, I'm interested in your opinion. What do you think? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, if you look at um, Luke, such and such. And I said, no, 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 no. no I'm, you're, not, you're not hearing me. What I'm saying is, what do you think? And he said, I don't think. I don't have to think. If you read verse something, chapter oh, something dear. else, it will say <laughs> blah, 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 this and that. And, and I said, but you strike me as a smart man. And he said, well, yeah, I'm a, I was a doctor in Africa before I came here. And I said, right, so if all you had was a Bible, you would never have got through medical school. You wouldn't have helped anybody. Surely your mind is there for a reason. And just to say... All right, you could use it for that, but not that. Curiosity must end. I mean, I just, from a strategic point of view, for what the church was politically trying to achieve, okay. But for what Jesus was trying to achieve, it's just night and day. It, it makes no sense to me. Like, I would love to have interviewed Jesus and the Buddha and those kind of 
characters for this project <laughs> to see where would they get to in this? What would they add that all these other people didn't find? And it may simply be the fact that they dedicate themselves to wisdom rather than kind of picking it up by osmosis, working in a wise way through instinct, that they can look at a situation, particularly the ecologists in the book, of which there are a few, and they could look at the world and say, well, we're all going to die if we continue down this path for this long list of reasons. Here, here's how the global climate system works. Here's how ecosystems function. Here's what we need in order to function. And here's what our economic system is doing to dismantle and destroy and degrade all of those systems. So that doesn't work. So how do we work it out? And that really loops back around to the beginning of the conversation, which was the work in sustainability of trying to lock into this thing of why are we doing what we're doing? What would be what would be the sensible, the wise thing to do? Um, and you notice that wisdom as an, as a concept is pretty much missing in in our political language, in our economic language. Most of us know that the things that we value most highly are really Love, connection, love and connection. Yeah. Yes, some validation, some psychological things. That, that's almost its own sub-conversation. But really what people want to feel is connection, is love. And, and I feel that that is one of the things that has just been reinforced and arrived at through a different door in this book. Wow. Well, the, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, I, I hear people talk about logic, and we are very, uh, in Western society, very uh, left-brain dominant. Mm -hmm. uh, about this is logical, that logical. And, and then at, at the same time, you're, you know, the, the people that you've interviewed, the people that you know, what you've been doing all these years, you, you know, there's this very logical um, explanation of like, uh, hey guys, if we continue doing what we're doing right now to the planet, how our economics is, this is not sustainable. We will not survive mm -hmm. as a human species. Like, hello, hello. You know, that's mm -hmm. logic, if you will, <laughs> right? And then at the same time, you know, then I'm like, okay, so what's the problem here, right? Like, let's, let's, let's vote, you know, let's do this, right? And I'm like, let's mm -hmm. do this, guys. And, but then, you know, I'll, I'll see people, including some healers, you know, and, and different people, friends and, and family, and I know, and, you know, when they're, like, voting in a president or a prime minister or whatever, they look at the small scale of going, well, you know, our, our, you know we, we can't do that because our economy is going to collapse. Or, you know, we have to do it, you know, like this guy knows how to run money or, you know, and I'm like, yeah, but th there's nobody in leadership positions that is seeing the big picture and doing what's for the highest and greatest good of all mm -hmm. here. So why right. are we not voting for that? Because if you're like, oh, logic is dictating your decisions, then why are we voting for some, you know, people and, and, and continue voting for people who aren't seeing the big picture? 
Right. Uh, I yeah, think so it's, it's that kind of time scale thing again. You know, mm -hmm. that that's the first thing that comes up for me as you speak, that people say, well, um, this is my situation today financially. Yeah. This guy here is saying, I'm going to cut taxes. And that guy over there is saying, I'm going to raise taxes. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> somehow, and you know what's absolutely cranks me up is that people will like a particular I mean this is a very political thing but in the states people have this this almost boogeyman idea of socialism and they say oh we don't want socialism here because I someone literally told me this the other day that I mean they're a good friend they do not think this way but they said they know people who think that socialism means that all businesses will be absorbed by the state. So right, like that's what they, or... Um, yeah, that, that's yeah. what they think socialism is, rather than socialism, as far as I'm concerned, is you pay a, a little bit more in taxes and everybody gets looked after. That if you're sick, you don't have to go bankrupt. Like a friend of mine in the States, he got ill, he ended up because he didn't have the right insurance or enough insurance or whatever and, and they couldn't figure out what was up with him and they never did. But at the end of it, they gave him a bill of $100,000. Oh my gosh. He, he went bankrupt and after that, he could not rent a place. Mm. I mean, it's, it royally screwed him. Mm. And... So sad. Where is the wisdom in this? Forcing people, destroying people financially. Like if he's bankrupt, he can't pay anyway. I mean, like I said, that's a whole long, arduous political, economic um, discussion. But to me, a wise society, what one of the uh, contributors, Elizabeth Sartoris, called the ecosophy. The Y society is one that is simply based in reciprocity, generosity, love. Mm. It's not about, I want to get mine today because um, you only live once and all that stuff. And screw everybody else. <laughs> right. I mean, her first story is that the, when I first question out of the gate is, uh, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about wisdom? And she told the story of, so she's like mid-80s, I think she said, mm. uh, at this point. And back in the day, um, so this is sort of coming out of the Depression, where she was in a rural area of, I want to say the East Coast somewhere. I'm not exactly sure where. I forget. Um, oh, was it Hudson Valley? Maybe. Anyway, um, she said to go shopping meant getting in her dad's Ford truck and driving farm to farm. That was shopping. So everybody did something. And so you would go to one guy for honey and um, uh, milk from the dairy cows, which she said they had, her and her brother had these... Um, 
like glass jars and the milk was so rich that they would race to see who could um, <laughs> turn into cream first. Um, and, uh, and that was the day. It was going farm to farm. They would take their mm. produce and they would trade and everybody ate. Everyone ate well. Everyone ate fresh, local, seasonal, organic food wow. for every meal. And that's a wise society. That yes. is people saying, what's healthy? What's good for us? What's in balance? What's equitable? So what works uh, ecologically? What works economically? What works ethically? And let's do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's do that. <laughs> so yes. this shapes our whole life. You know, our whole life was, was founded upon that early experience of wisdom and probably I'm going to go out on a limb and say that a lot of people in our in our world in our culture are probably a little bit starved of wisdom mm. in their childhoods it's a thing that I don't think it's it's particularly prized valued I think that we've got so sucked into materialism that we've absolutely lost our way. Yeah. We've lost our connection to the earth, our connection to each other. Um, there's a phenomenal chapter in the book by the Chilean ecologist Juan Pablo Orego. He spent a lot of time with indigenous people in South America and um, Central America, I think, North America. And he was talking about like the young guy that you'd see wearing the headphones on the subway and he doesn't want to hear anything, he doesn't want to see anything, he's completely buried in what he's doing and because the whole place is sort of loud and it's ugly and and you know in some ways dangerous and he said this is the totally anti-shamanic disconnection. He said in in the rainforest, let's say, the people, they could not live for a single day without that profound connection to nature. He said that he did a study, did his masters on one particular tribe, and he said that they spent about 60% of their time in ritual. Wow. Right? I mean, for us, it's just go, 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 non-stop, flat out, right. no Today real left. ritual. Yeah. We, I, mean, we're, I mean, just the addiction to caffeine should be everything we need to know about how completely overwhelmed we are by our to-do lists, the stuff that we've got to do to keep up and catch up and... And in this, as I said several times in this conversation, it is so tough to make that space, to find that space, to carve out that little bit of time, not just for your relationships, to connect with your kids, your parents, your siblings, but to connect with yourself, to get quiet time, to meditate, to feel into your soul to to who you really are and where you're at and do all of this in 
in a loving and non-judgmental way that you don't have to give yourself a hard time in terms of what you find. It's all okay as long as you're willing to do the work to get healthier, to get to a better place because if we really do that work honestly, I think all of us can find things that we say, well, that needs work. I mean, talking to Sulak this morning, he's 88 years old. Mm. And every day he is doing the same work, insight meditation. He's connecting to who he is. Because he tells a story about when he was a boy, before he became a, uh, a monk, uh, he said he was very angry, an angry young man. And a lot of the people, a lot of the men in this book have said that, that a lot of their journey has been about getting away from anger. And I just thought that was super interesting. Mm. And I almost hate to say it on the radio where people are going to hear it and look for it because I'm sort of interested in how many people will organically find that and recognize that and say, well, there's another guy talking about anger and yeah so much of that is about I guess trying to recognize where it comes from and work through it make our peace with it and all of those things just inevitably add up to a wiser way to be yes yes oh yeah totally <laughs> I totally resonate with that um, I, I remember, um, I don't know which, like, I, I heard, this is a story I heard, it really resonated with me, I don't even know who said it first, but I think it was about the Native Americans um, saying that, uh, you know, because I think I was having a discussion with someone on, in terms of incarceration, and, um, and, and I'm not uh, that thrilled with how we're handling all that, and then finding out mm -hmm. that uh, incarceration is big business people make big sure. money on it and then it made me like Bleh, you know <laughs> totally not like it even more but you know uh, somebody told me hey you know native americans uh, there's someone that's you know doing bad things stealing you know harming other people instead of incarcerating that person and isolating them they actually take care of them more it's like they love them more they go what what is it that they need you know to fill them um right. is it and they take care of them so they feel included and not ostracized and not isolated. And, and that's how they rehabilitate uh, those people. So they really didn't have, you know, the, the crime, you know, that we um, have. And, and, you know, yeah. we're so concerned about locking our doors and protecting our stuff and, you know, having guns to protect. I mean, I understand, you know, I'm not going to say anti-gun program, anything, but just I get it. Like, that's where we're at right now in our consciousness. But what about these other societies that are so wise and what they do with, the, with their people? It just, it, it always amazes me, you know, just around the world. Um, thank you for this amazing book uh, to, to share, um, you know, from all over the, the world. It's the different uh, cultures and what people have learned. It's so valuable. Well, as you can tell, I'm extremely excited about sharing it I mean I just oh man I mean <laughs> well, we better tell people where to get it <laughs> yeah I mean the I experience just was just was that intense that oh, um, oh boy yeah you know I, I two of them just talking about peace um, one of them 
been um, Ajahn Sulak and the other David Krieger, who's been nominated for the Nobel, Nobel Peace Prize a number of times, uh, peace campaigner since the Vietnam War. And, uh, and they inspired me to do this book on peace. And, uh, and it's one of the things that I feel when I literally pick this book up and hold it to my chest, this may sound like a crazy thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if other authors of works like this get it. There's a feeling that goes into what you do. Like they say, if you cook a meal with love, it tastes better. Right? Yes, yes. So in this process, everything I did, I tried to do to the utmost, the best I could in integrity and openness and love and appreciation and all of that positivity. And I really feel it when I hold that book. Mm -hmm. And I feel, just without reading it, I feel that it, I got there. And I just, I can't wait for people to read it and tell me what they get out of it. I mean, I, if I was, if life was very different, I can imagine spending the next year or two or three setting up programs and courses and workshops and, and all kinds of things to support processes of discussion of really conscious exploration of wisdom and what it is but I'm just hoping that this book is just a great way for people to get started with tapping into identifying and sharing their own wisdom oh, it's that's beautiful <laughs> thank you I just love how excited you are and how thrilled you are and, and I can you know I think that you're feeling that the vibes of you know all these different the, almost like wisdom vibes, you know, vibing off the book. <laughs> yep, literally. So, yes, yes, vibing off the book. So um, people can get this on, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, right? Um, yeah, um, it's up on Amazon now. I hey, maybe on Barnes and Noble. It may take a little while to show up on their site. I'm not sure, but um, it's it's available through expanded distribution. So. You know, people shouldn't have any trouble anyway. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So Wisdom, Now and Always is the name of the book. And then, um, Miguel, if people wanted to learn more about, you know, what you're up to, what your next books are, which sound very exciting, um, maybe you can share a little bit about your future products, uh, projects, rather, and then your website that people can connect with you. So, um, in broad strokes, because again, you know how it is when you're working on a project, you want to keep the energy in the idea. Yes. Um, so I am about near, getting towards halfway through a book on art and creativity, where I'm interviewing 20 artists and creators from around the world. And like the first guy was an Oscar winner, didn't realize that just sort of showed up in the conversation. Um, one of the guys is one of the world's most well-respected photographers. There's one of the world's most respected tattoo artists. There's people working in music and painting and sculpture and video games and film and it just goes on and on and that is an absolute blast. So that's very mm -hmm. cool. Um, very then cool. 
I'm doing one with actually a lady who's in the wisdom book, uh, Wendy Stevenson. We're doing a book on all about home. So I won't say too much about that at the moment, but we're just a couple of interviews in. Um, and and I, oh, I just, I, I cannot wait to get that one done and out there. Again, it was the... The interviews are so moving because everybody can relate to the concepts of home. I mean, everybody. Wisdom, in a way, it's a slightly more removed thing and you've got to do work to get there for most people. But home, you say home to people and boom, they're off. Mm. And, uh, and so we're going to get some really interesting people. Again, a wide variety of people from all different walks of life that can relate to home in all sorts of different ways. So that may be out by the end of the year, probably early next. And then this morning I just started the interview on uh, interviews for the, the book on peace. And oh, again, uh, you know, just the first interview for that was phenomenal. Just, it's going to be a beautiful thing. Um, and then I got a whole load of other ideas because I don't know why, but I've just become so energized this year more than more than any other year maybe. I don't know why, but it's just all happening. It's just all firing off at the same time. And so every day I'm writing down another book title for a whole different <laughs> thing that I want to explore. It's just, I don't know. It's just like now's the time. It is. It is the time. Well, that's great. Well, lucky us. <laughs> <laughs> I like well, lucky me. Yeah. From, uh, yeah, from from all of that, and uh, I love how people are really blossoming into um, that next stage of of their personal and and uh, evolution, which then helps you know humanity's evolution. So each of us are like little buds on a big tree, you know, blossoming um, to this this greater whole and and benefiting each other in the process. Um, so your website, Miguel. It is MiguelMendonca.com. So have you spell yeah. it for us? Yeah, so Miguel is M-I-G-U-E-L. Mendonca is M-E-N-D-O-N-C-A. MiguelMendonca.com. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. So that's just been just been set up to sort of collect all of my uh, writing together in one place so people can and I've you know I've written a blog post trying to explain my journey to people so that they can get a sense of how it is that the same person worked on all these different things you know yeah. what, what that was about and you know we sort of got into that today and that whole thing of being willing to explore your own journey and get a sense of yourself I think again it just goes back to wisdom which mm -hmm. goes back to self-knowledge. And those two are so bound up together that that is, that's a fundamental plank of wisdom development, for sure. Mm, I love it. In fact, I think you've inspired me to, um, to make a meme. <laughs> <laughs> I've been meaning to make this meme for a while, but uh, uh -huh. I think there's one uh, out there that was like, you know, uh, no as an N-O, no Jesus, no peace. And then K N O W no Jesus no peace. So I decided I was uh -huh. gonna you know flip the words a little bit, and I have written no self as in capital S no peace, mm -hmm. and then K N O W self no peace, 
and then no love, no peace, and then K-N-O-W, no love, and then K-N-O-W, peace, so no peace. So <laughs> if you're a Facebook nice. friend of mine, you'll see that today. Because <laughs> cool. I was just in that space, and then you just really just spoke right into that. And I was like, yay, this is awesome. So today is the, the right day to post that. Um, Miguel, Boom, any, yeah. Yeah, any last you know, words or things that you want to share with our listeners before we um, end? Not really, but um, I, I would be interested anybody who reads the book um, that gets a big kick out of it um, feel free to stick a review on Amazon and share with people what they got out of it and what the experience was for them um, because I mean they can you know if people want to they can reach me through my website there's a contact form so people can share their thoughts because all of that feedback is is really useful in in helping me to understand what it is that we're doing that is working for people you know mm. um, I mean you mentioned love and that's that's a that's another project I want to work on <laughs> a, whole, a book about love and um, I've got a concept for it so but that's that's very early days that's not even I haven't even made any notes yet but I'm sort of just letting it turn over in my head a little bit um, and um, I mean I don't know if this is like appropriate but I'm, I'm you mentioned that you have a new book out today and I wondered if you'd be happy just to I don't know if you need to tie things up here but I'd be interested to hear what your book is oh. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, uh, I'm almost be not quite as prolific as you are on the book scene, but getting there, getting there. Um, mm -hmm. So today's book launch is uh, called Evolutionary Healer, and it's uh, 18 of us uh, energy healers um, sharing stories and our wisdom uh, well. from, you know, what we've done and what we've seen in, in our profession, ourselves, you know, you know, in a vulnerable share and um, actually sharing energy healing right through the book, at least my chapter is. So my chapter is on alternate self-syndrome, super, super weird stuff, but <laughs> my tribe totally gets it, um, and some healing around that. And, uh, yeah, so that's launching today, and uh, we're doing the whole, you know, bestseller campaign, you know, spreading it on Facebook and giving gifts and, and things like that. And so I'm, I'm excited. It actually is a beautiful book. I love the, the colors. She, the publisher put it in turquoise and all these, amazing like chakra type colors and so mm -hmm. um yeah i just went online we have to buy our own books so we <laughs> went online to amazon right before our recording today and, and bought 10 books <laughs> for, to give it nice so, yeah. yeah i maybe we should do a book swap um and sure, i'm also gonna yeah. i'm gonna point you and your readers in the direction of a book that i helped to uh, to the layout production for um which came out I think late July, so it's been out like six weeks or something like that, and it is called Walkins Cosmology of the Soul. Oh, great! But, yes, yes. Yeah. So her name is Sheila Seppi, S E W P I, and she, you guys, oh, you get look along like a oh, house on fire. Great. Maybe, you, yeah, I'll, we I'll could probably, yeah, please do. We'd love to interview her. And, um, you know, we had uh, interviewed Devon Perry on one book of Walkins Among Us, and so many mm -hmm. people were so interested, you know, in the whole topic. And, you know, we'd love to expand that. So that's really cool. And Yeah, so just, she's done a whole 
deep dive. I mean, she's interviewed, God, I don't know, a lot of people for this book and gone into, so she shared her own experience and then theirs and then she is, from all of this, she's sort of pulled out a a set of learnings really about the different types of walk-ins, the different experiences that people have. I mean, I've got a chapter in there. Um, I just had this crazy experience for like three weeks uh, that that was getting on for two years ago, at least just over 18 months, I guess. And um, for three weeks, I was essentially, I don't even know, to this day, I can't quite put the words to it, but it was like I was simultaneously Miguel and an observer Mm. in the same body. And so I told um, Sheila about this and she said, well, you know, would you be willing to share that? And I'd kept a journal at the time. And so that's probably a fairly unique thing of somebody going through a radical consciousness shift of that type. Um, But a friend of mine who's very involved in transcendental meditation since the 70s, he said it sounds more like what the Maharishi describes as cosmic consciousness, Mm -hmm. where you are Mm -hmm. simultaneously um, subject and object. You're simultaneously um, the observer and the observed. Yes, yes. I mean, I don't know, but um, yeah, there's like twin, there's at least a dozen different people who have shared experiences in there. And there's, like I say, all of this fascinating um, discussion of what the learnings are, of what we're learning about the nature of being, the cosmology of the soul, what she and other people have come to understand through... Um, claircognizance and channeling and all, I mean it's just a feast a metaphysical feast and um, and she just has a very engaging way of talking about it so she and I actually be catching up tomorrow so I'll hook you up by email and have her on you know she's oh, yeah great. yeah your audience will love her Oh, fantastic. So thank you, Miguel, for being on the show. It's always a pleasure. All the best to you and, um, and, and all your projects. We look forward to hearing more about them in the future. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family vdw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus